Hey everyone, I'm your host, Michael, and this is the Imposters Cafe, a show about one simple truth. No one has any idea what they're doing. Not at work, not in life, and you know what? That's okay. On today's episode, I speak with Jay Carr, licensed professional counselor at Reclaim Your Path, technology and digital marketing consultant, and a close personal friend. You can find Jay on Instagram at jaycarr, that's J-A-Y-K-A-R-R, and at reclaimyourpath.com. So now please enjoy my conversation with the one and only Jay Carr. Mr. Jay Carr, great to see you, and thank you so much for coming to hang out. Absolutely. So obviously I know you, but for everyone else, how would you describe what you do? Licensed professional counselor, so uh, basically provide services for mental health. Uh, I like to refer to it also as not just mental health, but, but wellness counseling. Um, I think very often there's this perceived uh, well, stigma associated with mental health where it's a matter of deficits that we've got to address. And uh, I think that as well, we can look at it more in that positive range of, all right, well, how can I more optimally be living my life? And uh, so I, I take a trauma-informed uh, approach to that work, um, which really is looking at um, those, those places where the past may be influencing how we show up in our present day experiences and interactions and, and that. And uh, yeah, so it's been, uh, you know, that was a, a second career to me. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, first career was in advertising uh, where our, our paths crossed uh, years ago. Uh, in the agency world. And uh, uh, I left that, let's see, it would have been in 2016. Uh, and the last role I had was VP Director of Technology and uh, left that to go back to school. Uh, I refer to it as kind of blowing up my life to become a, a therapist. And so it's it's uh, so nice to be on the other side of school in that transition as well as being in the active uh, practice that, that I am of, of being able to help people. And that was, you know, one of the, the major drivers was being able to do something more meaningful than, uh, let's say, websites that help sell shampoo for PNG. So uh, all, all of that said, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been also an interesting uh, kind of convergence of, uh, you know, my background in history of working in technology and marketing and, and being able to leverage those skills. So I do consulting work as well for other mental health practices. Uh, and that was something that was unintended, but uh, it was just a nice convergence when I was in school and uh, another way for me to, um, well, I look at it as kind of uh, rather than return on investment, it's what impact can I have on my investment? And uh, my time only scales, right? One-on-one -on -one when I'm, I'm working with people. And so being able to help the helpers is uh, another one of the goals and, and uh, certainly less of a focus than my clinical work at this point in time, but uh, important to me as well. I feel like um, the lack of focus on return on investment, I think is really, really important because, you know, a lot of people love to throw that term around either in business or, I mean, it, it's almost like a social term, right? You know, and, and in relationships, but I feel like that is still a, you know, what, what am I getting from my time or my investment, not what am I giving? And I think that's, that's an important thing to to look at, I'm sure, especially in the, the world that you're working, but also just I think as a human. And over the past couple of years, I feel like everything's changed so much so drastically that a lot of people have, I, I know myself included, have had to kind of recalculate how they view their time, their relationships, not to mention how they process 
all of the past two years uh, in the, the way the world's um, shifted. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's, that is intriguing. I, I think a lot of people in it, and that's kind of the point of, you know, these conversations, you know, have made that decisive change or change of their outlook, be it career or personally. I mean, I know I have, and it's like, it can be jarring. And I, I appreciate that. I mean, just as a, as a good friend, I, I've seen you take it with stride in ways that I know a lot of people, a lot of people haven't. I almost feel like I measure things in the length of uh, experiences and, and life lived, not, not necessarily years, right? I mean, you look at like the, the length of the pandemic or the first year or, you know, lockdown or any, any of the scenarios. And I feel like I look at that and I, I joke about how 2020 seemed like years because of all the stages and all the experiences in, packed into that one year. But then when you look back at uh, friends that you've had for a while and experiences you've had together, and how that compounds to a point where it's not even years anymore. It's just like, that was a number of experiences ago. I mean, um, you and I have personally uh, had some rather enjoyable adventures, either in Germany or in Iceland. And it's like, that seems like so long ago because I've done so many things since then that have been memorable, even if not to anyone else. That's that's enough about remotely about me. Uh, let's, let's turn this back around. Um, so you talk about how, you know, you were in advertising in the beginning where we initially uh, met, but then things changed. So what did your career start out like? What led you to that, that world at first? Yeah. Well, I was thinking back on like, all right, as a kid, like, what did I, what did I want to do when I grew up? Right. And um, it was like art was my thing, like drawing. And it was an interesting thing as I, I was thinking back on it. And I think in high school, um, I really got insecure. I think about the fact that uh, there were artists that were able to see something in their mind and draw it. And I couldn't do that. I could look at 3D things and translate that to two dimensional and represent that technically well. It always felt inauthentic to me. And um, I have all kinds of theories about that, including uh, aphantasia, which is that I actually don't see stuff in my mind <laughs> in the same way. And, and interestingly enough, I was just reading a research article on that uh, a couple of weeks ago, and apparently there's a way to actually test that. Uh, and it, you can actually see the image, basically the pupil, whether it's in your mind or a, an actual external stimulus, your pupil will, will, will actually dilate appropriately or, or there's something in the eye basically that can be measured uh, to see. And what they've shown is that some people yeah, don't have that, that same response and it's reflective of whether or not they actually see things in their mind. Anyway, a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, I have obviously theories about, you know, what that was about, but for me, it, it felt inauthentic. And, and, and when I picked up a guitar, it was a totally different thing. So music, as you know, an important part of my life, certainly at that age in, in high school. But the cool thing about it was all of a sudden I was able to create something out of nothing. And to me, that was so powerful and uh, for whatever reason, kind of moved beyond art at that point. Um, however, you know, I think, again, it was insecurity and maybe uh, a lack of, well, I wouldn't even say that. Let's say balancing, right, a need for security. Uh, along with, you know, a desire to do something. So in school, uh, in that compromised way, I ended up <laughs> working like my, my uh, it was a, uh, let's see, BABS in business administration, marketing concentration. And so marketing was like the, the 
the part that still had like that aspect of, of, of psychology stuff that was interesting to me and was still in this, uh, what I would say, you know, general business thing where you don't know exactly and how would you at that age know what you want to do uh it would you know provide me i I felt like you know plenty of opportunities so um i kind of lucked out into that first job in digital marketing um at uh, lsy digital uh let's see that would have been in 2000 i guess yeah 2000 2001 like very early on and right before <laughs> the, the uh the bubble burst uh that round and so it was you know a matter of successive layoffs and you know looking back at my advertising career i i i finally got caught in that <laughs> the last <laughs> the last round of layoffs but i survived I don't know. It was in, in double digits of the number of, of rounds of layoffs that somehow I was able to, to, to sneak through. But yeah, that was kind of the, the start of the career and, and, and how I ended up in that. And um, there were certainly aspects of it that I, I loved and technology and as well. For me, it was really the interaction that, that you could use technology to interact with people like that. That part was what I really enjoyed. And so that, that kind of evolved, but I'd say that my dream job was uh, when, when I was director of technology at Resource Interactive, which is now part of IBM X, and, um, and I still had multiple <laughs> jobs after that uh, where I felt like, all right, directionless, aimless. Like I had actually achieved what I set out to achieve. I had like had the dream essentially for that job, working on uh, you know huge projects uh, like P and G, the, the their global e-commerce platform, uh, and so you know from from there it was where do I go? And to be honest, I look back and it was quite a few years of coasting, and uh, that that coasting um, really you know we're, we've been talking about you know, the impact of pandemic and how that's that's changing things it's, it's an opportunity it's a catalyst right to be able to reevaluate things and certainly in my life uh, i'd say there have been those catalysts along the way that uh have have allowed me a chance to kind of reassess and and there was certainly one of those where it actually was a relationship that i'd been in that ended um reach back out to a counselor that i had seen at multiple times over the years and uh, ended up talking more about career in that conversation. And, and um, it was, you know, I think a lot of ways a reaction to, to what I've been. But I, I noted that, like, I, I needed something more meaningful. It was about that idea of, like, generativity and it back to that ROI. It was like if that had been my focus, right, and, and it was to a degree because you've got – what I call gravity problems of I got to you know pay rent. There's all these responsibilities, right, that we often look at as far as constraints um, that, that tend to weigh us down and gravity problems because, uh, look, I don't get mad that if I let go of something, it's going to drop. I just work with it because that's how the world works. And the same thing when it comes to constraints. And um, so feeling those constraints, you know, it also was limiting. But in that conversation with, with my counselor, uh, she just said, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? And, and uh, I hadn't really. And part of that was that it involved 
things that I wouldn't consider in my set of options, going back to school for three years, like the financial implications, et cetera. Um, however, it touched on something that was far more important, which was, uh, I would call intuition, kind of that knowing. And um, that, rather than weighing the pros and cons, is what really made that an easy decision for me. Easy in that, that I didn't have to wonder if this is what I wanted to do. That door and that connection had been brokered, thankfully. And um, so then it was a matter of, of, of that shift from there. So, and I, I know we're pretty far off from that initial question. That's great. I was going to ask you. So, I mean, it, what's interesting is that, you know, especially in the, I don't know how it is now coming out of school, but myself looking into the, you know, coming out of school in what, 2001. And I was like, okay, well, I think, uh, or 2005, this is how long it's been. I actually forgot the year. <laughs> but the point is like going into uh, the business end of art, for lack of a, a, specific, a specific term, you know, you always look for what kind of area you can work in, right? But there's always those kind of untapped details. And I, you were mentioning how, you know, what drew you to that aspect of digital marketing and what you enjoyed most. I, I almost wonder, like, do you look back after that conversation that kind of veered you in a different direction? Do you, do you look back at the time in the advertising world and you look at cer- certain details that you enjoyed? Do you ever wonder if those are like untapped or unrealized points of like, oh, I love this aspect of it. I love connecting with people or doing something that's uh, fulfilling. There's like a fulfilling aspect of, you know, every type of work, but especially in marketing and advertising that you were talking about. It almost seems like those seeds were there, just kind of like waiting to be kind of unearthed to keep the metaphor going. <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely agree. I, I mean, I've had people ask, you know, do you feel like you missed your calling? And like, no, because that stuff was there, right? It was like latent seeds kind of uh, the, the way that I see it. And, and, and if you looked at, you know, the work, how I worked, et cetera, even the, the relational aspects in particular of working with teams and the dynamics that were there, like that was all, um, I would say, you know, necessary building blocks for actually leading me to, to, to where I am now and the work that I do. I would uh, also, you know, if I think back, right, like what we're talking about, like, school you're young you don't know what you want to do i can't imagine being a therapist at that age and for me it was so important that i had the personal experiences and professional experiences that i had to really be able to relate that relate part of relationship in a, in a way not that look as a therapist i have to have been through or know what my clients are experiencing in fact it's not that because it's them leveraging their skills to solve their problems it's why advice is cheap <laughs> i don't do that in therapy because i don't have to live with the consequences right like that that's an easy thing to say oh you should do this you should do that and uh, i'm not in their shoes so who am i to say i don't have access to all of that i only have access to part of it and so my work is more on, on reflecting that back than 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 uh, I'd say, you know, providing an answer or a solution. Uh, and that's, I think, part of the power of the work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's super impactful. And it's also moving to hear that kind of thing because I think a lot of people hear the either the statement from someone else or better yet, I fall victim to this too. You know, some of the, the most negative self-talk when it comes to career or personal choices, everything from like, oh, is it a FOMO thing? Or am I missing out? Did I miss my calling? the missing your calling aspect of that 
like you mentioned, you know, people will say that uh, in, in not in a way to tear you down or make you feel bad, but they'll just say it in conversation. If you say, oh, I changed my career completely after X number of years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And I think that's really important for everyone to kind of hear at any point, even at 18 or 20, forget college, forget type of education, just in general, the fact that it's the never too late, like, did I miss my calling at 20 if I found it at 40 or 50 or even later? I think it's it's so validating for people to hear as they've made changes or better yet, as they're contemplating it, that there's not a, there's not like a cutoff or like, if you don't know what you're doing by a certain point. Right. This was the right time. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's really great to call out, but it's good to hear from someone on the other side. And, and that's one of the most enjoyable things to hear is just, you've lived it. Now you're like looking back and you're like, yeah, that was, that was a different chapter, but that does not negate the fact that I'm in chapter two or whatever you want to call it does not negate the fact that there was a chapter one and its validity. And I, I love that, that term validity there for what you're talking about. And the thing that I've come to appreciate and respect, I think in a way that I didn't when I was younger, there's this aspirational idea that like, oh, I, I should be doing that. And as soon as I, I, I notice that word should, right, then it's a judgment, right, of what I'm not doing, which reinforces the lack of, of that in me. And I bring that up in that, that there is such validity to uh, what I'll call those adaptive strategies or, or protectors, right? That, that maybe it is, right? Like a need for security. That's actually a value that's important. And to just ignore that for the sake of this idea that is drilled time and time again, that like, go for the dream, like, you know, at all costs, like, you can see it even in some of the, the, the well, I, I call it the mental health issues that have come up as far as sports. But there's this, we put people on a pedestal that sacrifice, right, that, that, that in a way that's detrimental to them long term. And, and we idolize that in such a way that I think that plays into even our personal decisions of this idea that at all costs, we've got to do it. And I, I, what I would say is that the costs actually matter. They're valid. Back to, to that word. And so I think recognizing what it is that is holding you back, maybe it's those fears, maybe it's the doubts, insecurity, whatever it may be, they're actually there to protect you. And so if you can actually change the relationship to that, it's not a matter of, of there isn't fear there, right? It's changing your relationship to that fear. That it's the, the and, and instead of it being a conflict, I'll put it that way, it's collaborating with that fear. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny how, you know, not funny, it's, it's interesting because I so many of these things resonate with me personally. And I know from friends I've talked with about just that that type of struggle how that is so, so valid. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I, I guess the process in which you unpack that kind of thing matters so much, especially when you start to label certain aspects that are holding you, not holding you back, but are presenting challenges like um, the idea of resistance, right? So in um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, another book that I've gone back through a couple of times, and he, he labels resistance as that thing which is trying to keep you safe in your, you know, basically in your, you know, inner monologue, your self-talk, your mind, that's trying to keep you from taking these risks or making these changes or being comfortable with being uncomfortable because it is trying to keep you safe, which is funny when you label these aspects of your, you know, your 
inner conversations yourself talk. I mean, you know this better than I do, probably can put it in better words. But that I feel like that's when you give it a face, you give it a name, then you have something to react to and kind of deal with as opposed to just this blurry, like haze of negativity at 3am when you're laying in bed, not to make it too personal. But that's, that's kind of what it is, right? It's 2am for me. I just get a bed earlier, apparently. <laughs> um, no, I mean, honestly, that one of the modalities that I work with clients, and, and in fact, my own personal work uh, that I often leverage is, is called internal family systems or IFS, um, parts work. And so it, it's kind of applying that systems perspective to external relationships to your internal experience. And, and it is, it's putting a, a name to, in fact, like a, a personality often to these parts. And maybe that resistance is a part. And um, so I, I do think that there is tremendous value in being able to recognize that because as soon as you can recognize it, it puts you back in self. What is that you that actually recognizes the fear? and and can see that and so i think that there's just that bit of uh differentiation that can happen in that acknowledgement that recognition of what your experience is that actually helps you you know connect with that deeper part of, of self and who you are and i'll probably i'm way too clinical on this stuff because it's what I, I what i what i live and breathe and and right now i'm in an ifs circle it's a it's a actual training program it's about six months working in that particular modality but uh there's so many commonalities to, to, to what you're you're talking about here as well yeah well i mean i, I think it, it it's great that i mean well, obviously this is your your area of expertise but also it's great that you're speaking to it at that level because i think I mean, just in general, making everyone uh, more familiar with and comfortable with talking about mental health. I mean, this is not um, necessarily like a, a a topic that I feel like no one else is touching on. Obviously, it's becoming more and more prevalent, but I enjoy it. And it's a very selfish reason that I enjoy it, I'll admit. But I also think that it's good to talk about these things, even if like I don't have the terminology down specifically, but I can at least put a label to what I think I'm feeling and try to talk about it. And hearing you uh, divulge these details that are a little bit more clinical, I think is important because even if anyone listening doesn't understand every single aspect that you might bring up, it still is a breadcrumb on a trail to knowing more or at least being, being interested in more or just being able to talk about it more. And what's funny is I, um, I talk about this with friends a lot and my fiance about how the, the, the psychological side of, your career, your, your work, whatever you want to, how you want to label it. Basically the, the hours that you spend doing the thing that makes you money to pay rent or mortgage and buy food, the, the basic definition, you know, I feel like there's such a crossover that people don't often want to talk about very, very frequently are left with only, uh, an HR department. That's the closest thing to people you can talk to about problems you're having, but they're not really there as your, you know, your counselor. And, you know, there's often the stigma of not being able to trust people in HR departments. That's a whole different, <laughs> different yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, it's an important bookend to your career um, experience, I guess, is to understand the psychological impacts of uh, what you're doing, how your self-talk impacts what you do from your title to your responsibilities, the things that matter, don't matter to different people. And especially now in this, you know, shift temporarily for some and 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 uh, permanently for others to a remote workforce where there's a lot to deal with and especially when you are sitting at home 
and you're having to differentiate things from like how I feel about a certain conversation or how I feel about in one of my favorite topics to unpack with myself and others all the time is imposter syndrome, how you unpack those things, especially in the, the vacuum of your own home office, which is five feet away from your personal life. And your commute is now steps and it, it, it all has become so blurred lately. And I think that it's much more important to talk about these aspects. The TLDR of that is like, I'm glad you're going into detail because it is so, so important. Well, you know, I think it's helpful. Like that's all that frameworks are. It's a way for us to be able to communicate, right? And have some reference point for what that is. And, um, but what really matters is that you're, you're lived and known experience. And that's, that's the important part, not the framework. Right. And that's, I think what you're speaking about there, but you mentioned, you mentioned that, that imposter syndrome and, and, you know, I'm going to draw another parallel here. And um, so in, let's see, it would have been in March. I was in San Diego. I was able to participate in uh, uh, a conference that was focused on uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, uh, which obviously there's a renaissance as far as the use of psychedelics in uh, mental health and uh, tremendous evidence support for that and very promising. Uh, so I got to hear, you know, the latest on, on uh, the, the phase three clinical research for uh, MAPS, PTSD uh, and MDMA for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so really encouraging stuff and really cool to be there with uh, some of those experts in the field. Um, Gabra Mate in, in particular stands out as well as Bessel van der Kolk. But this idea that, that I think it was Gabra Mate, uh, I want to at least attribute it if I can correctly, but this idea that trauma isn't, you know, that bad things happen. Bad things happen to kids, adults, like, negative events, right? That's a part of life. It doesn't make it trauma. What makes it trauma is the isolation that happens after. And I bring that up because even this podcast, right, is about connecting with other people in a way that, that may feel isolated in what their experience is. We talked about this, you know, a little bit earlier. It's this, this idea that it's uh, that isolation is what creates trauma. And, and not being able to process something in the moment in the way that you could if you had the resources, if you had the support, you had the ability to emotionally regulate. And, and so that's what, what creates the stuckness is isolation. And so th this idea of connectivity is uh, really a way through, I think is so important. And with imposter syndrome, it's a real deal thing in the mental health space and therapists talk about it as well. And uh, look, there's no way that, that that doesn't happen. So it's not a matter of like, again, kind of eliminating that you feel that way. Instead, it's actually acknowledging it. And then how do you work with that? What is this telling you, right? That you're, you're feeling this in a way that, that can be productive rather than shut you down. And I think that that relationship piece and connectivity is one of the, 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 the best methods through that and being able to work through that. And that support can look like many different things. There's many different ways of going about that. But uh, I do think that, look, we're, we're social beings and there's something that, that's so powerful about that. I can't even help but think of my own experience, right? Like when I was processing career, what to do next, right? And it took somebody else to mirror that back to me in a different way that, that I could see it at a different perspective. Yeah, I, I think that's that's such an important thing to talk about these days in, in, in general, but I feel like it, it hits so differently now, um, the idea of isolation, right? And it, 
tell me if I'm wrong, because again, you're the professional in this area, but I feel like the, the aspect of the isolation after trauma, after an event, after something bad happening, losing a job, losing a, a friend, whatever. Yeah. I'd say after, yeah. Right. Events happen, right. right? Yeah. I almost feel like the, and maybe it's just personal experience. The isolation is not necessarily a physical thing, but if you're not processing, if you're not talking about it, if you're just kind of forcing it down and, and leaving it to your 2am mind, maybe that's part of the isolation as well is, is the lack of facing it, not the physicality of being by yourself, but being by yourself with your thoughts or the negative thoughts, right? Again, I'm probably jumbling all of these ideas, but. Right. And, and no, I mean, I, I think that, look, we, we can look back because we've had this experience in this physical isolation, which brings its own challenges, right? Um, but that is, I'd say, not unrelated, but it's that mental, emotional, psychological isolation is is exactly what we're talking about here, or I'm talking about at least when it when it comes to events becoming traumatic, is uh, not being able to have that emotional connection or that emotional connectivity um, that that you desire or want, um, and and I think that in a way, right, isn't that the loneliest thing when you uh, have that physical connection, but not that emotional on a deeper level, that emotional connection with somebody right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if say you work remotely and you live alone, let's say you have no pets you have, and no friends or family nearby, you're working somewhere, whatever the po point is, if your only physical interaction is with coworkers, a lot of those conversations and relationships are more than likely transactional at best or at their base. And there's a sense of isolation that comes with that when you you can be around other people, but you don't feel like you are connected to other people in the way that you need. I'm sure that is just a compounding level of isolation. And again, I'm speaking through what I, I've experienced in the past two years at times where the, the, the relationships are so different and you don't realize that because a lot of us used to commute to offices and you're around people all the time. You're around a lot of people you don't know, strangers, coworkers, and you've got those different levels of interaction and relationships. But when you strip away all of the physical or just proximity and you only have the people you're talking to and you realize 90% you can't connect with personally or it's just not appropriate or you just don't have that relationship, what if it's 100%? Then you're just on your own island. Yeah. And look, uh, <laughs> I mean, in, in my current profession, very different from my previous uh, career where, uh, look, a lot of the friends that I have in my life right now are because I met them through work. And it wasn't the transactional interactions, right? It was all the stuff in between, which is why those relationships were important. Uh, and it is, looks very different. And particularly if all of it is online, all of it is virtual, all of it is remote, uh, distributed, et cetera, all the different words that we, we now have for that. Um, and it, it, look, at any time that, that a relationship becomes purely transactional, it's undervalued or devalued automatically, I think. Um, because it isn't about the person and what they represent. It's about what they can offer, what they can do. And I, I say that if you look at it in the flip lens, that that's also then the value that you're providing to others. And I think that it may reinforce that idea of, well, what, what is my value that I'm bringing? What is it that I'm contributing? So I do think it comes back to this question of, of meaning and it 
shifts or changes what it means to actually do the job that I'm doing. And that's aside from the, the, the actual connection, right, that, that's not there. And I think it's challenging then because you don't have this built-in context uh, of an environment, physical or otherwise, where um, it can support those deeper relationships. And so, uh, to be honest, I think it takes just effort to, all right, where else or how else in my life, if you look at it from a broader perspective, can, can I be fulfilled? And uh, I think that, well, I often use uh, the, uh, it's called the wheel of life. But if you think of like this, this circle, right, that is your life split into different domains. So, you know, maybe, you know, money, career, uh, significant other relationships, those types of things. And so you rate the satisfaction level and it's zero at the center and it's 10 on the outside, right? Um, what are these categories? You know, what is the rating? And I love the visual of the wheel because as you start to turn it, it's going to be a very bumpy ride if it's out of relative balance. So it doesn't mean that everything has to be a 10, but if everything's at a three, even like it's going to be a pretty smooth ride. Right. Um, and so I think that it's, you know, career, we often think of it as just career. It's this domain without understanding the inner relationship of career to who I am as a person. And there's no way as much as we want to separate, create those boundaries between it. There's no way that this doesn't have an impact on who I am in life. And um, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. That's part of why career, my career now looks the way that it does because of who I am as a person and what my identity is and what is my purpose in life? Like, why am I here? And what, what impact can I create? All of those questions. And so um, I think the idea of limiting even these conversations that I think are so important that you're having to just career, um, it, 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 it doesn't give enough appreciation, I think, to the impact that career has to those other aspects on, on that wheel of life. It may just be different cultures and how we've been brought up to differentiate. And, you know, you're at work, you leave work and you close it. And that's that's work. And this is personal life and they have to be different and there's no effect on each other. I think it's really good to talk about that, how they they have that, that interplay. Right. Worth coming back to because I, I you know, you mentioned how when you made this this decision to change directions with your career, how you danced with the imposter syndrome situation a little bit and you've talked to other people and, and they kind of helped you kind of reflect upon that and, and get your head around what you want to do and being, you know, confident about a certain direction. Talk me through or talk us through like how that process went, especially as someone now who you can look back at it through a very specific lens. I find that to be the most intriguing thing. It, you know, it, the only way is through is the short answer. And um, like, I think back to that first time that I had to sit across from somebody in a session. And, and I, I can even remember my thoughts of like, oh my God, how am I going to fill up 50 minutes of time? Well, I, it's like, that's not the point of it again. Like, but in that frame of mind, right. It was, it was, it was terrifying. Um, now, one of the things that, that uh, a, 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 uh, colleague had shared with me was like, well, they don't know that it's your first time. And she shared this funny story too, about how she was telling that to, to another <laughs> therapist that was in training. And, uh, she heard basically as he was, uh, leading the, the, uh, the, the client back into session. Ah, oh, so how, how long have you been doing this? And so she relayed that story. Now that, that didn't happen for me as well. And so part of it is that like, 
you're never going to be able to prepare yourself for the reality of the situation, for the reality of whatever. You have to just work into it in a way. And so it's I back to you know I feel like I'm a broken record here, but it's embracing the fact that, that yeah, it feels absolutely uncomfortable and for a, a lot of reasons. However, the, if there's a pull through, and I think this is the thing that was important for me is like knowing that, that, that there's a, a reason that's more important than my discomfort in that moment, like that was what was needed for me. And I'd say is often needed is there has to be some reason why this is worth, right? Making the, the change maybe in my life or, um, or, or getting through the discomfort of whatever that is in the moment. And um, I will say that that's part of where the, the for me, the difference of the type of work I was doing and it made it worthwhile. And I guess that's the, I like that word worthwhile because it may be difficult, but is it worth it? And it, it can be extremely unpleasant, right? And still worth it. And so that's, I, I'd say, where I'd kind of orient that, you know, even when it comes to that imposter syndrome and, and, and um, feeling like I'm not good enough. And I think that very often that ties into comparisons with others, et cetera. And like, it's realizing that actually there's a uniqueness, right, to who you are that nobody else is going to be able to replicate. Um, I often think of it in terms of, I ran a marathon. This was long, 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 long time ago. Uh, certainly couldn't do that today. However, the thing about the marathon is that there's always somebody that's faster. There's always somebody that's, that's slower. No matter what pace I was doing during that entire experience, there was always somebody that was going to be faster, always somebody that was going to be slower. Now, I mean, you could argue that on the the, the extremes, right, That's that breaks down. But for for most of our experience, right, there's always going to be somebody that's better and always somebody that, that's slower. And so it's just a matter of accepting where you're at. And then it becomes a matter of really focusing on what your progress is. And it's not a matter of, of comparison to other people, but it's, you know, the comparison to, all right, well, what was I doing a week ago? What do I want to be doing a week from now? And, and really focusing on, on self and what your experience is and, and what's important and what growth means. And uh, also uh, I think really looking at what those successes are that you bring. And I, I think for me, if I think back to even that first time uh, with my first client uh, to when I, I opened my practice, uh, it, the thing that stands out is that I'm not the, the, the best therapist for everyone. And so it's more important, actually, that I find the clients where that fit is there um, than it be, you know, than I be the right therapist for everyone. And so that really, I think, kind of freed me in, in that experience of working through that to um, really own what it is that is important to me um, and, and as well important to the, the clients and know which clients that, that I uh tend to work well with. And um, again, that just, I think kind of freed me to accept myself as I am. And, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Carl Rogers and uh, this, it's called the curious paradox. And are you familiar with this? It sounds very familiar because I, I stockpile quotes for a million reasons, but 
Go ahead, because I, I clearly will not have it on hand. So the, the curious paradox is, is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I change. Can you say that one more time? Yeah, yeah. When I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Then I change. That's great. So we've talked a lot about the, the change uh, in path and, and how you processed it, how you look back at it. Um, I guess the question is now, I don't want to say the dust is settled, but somewhat, right? So you're, you're in this new direction, feeling good. What do you find to be like the most fulfilling part of this next step in the, the J-Car journey? <laughs> it's realizing or maybe accepting that uh, it, the journey is never done. I mean, it's like I, I, I like the word uh, exoneration uh, and that we often think that there's this point of time which like, all right, once I finally graduate, once I finally get that job, once I finally, you know, I'm doing doing the, the work I want to do, uh, that there's this idea that life will be easy and the the band-aid ripping off thing is that it it never stops it never gets easy and instead it's like once you can accept that then uh you can actually enjoy all of the all of what's there all of what's in that space which is joy it's challenge it's difficulty as, as well as you know enjoyment and um and meaning and and so um i'd say that you know what, what's interesting is that even though i've, I've in a way kind of done what I set out to do as far as this, this career change. And, you know, I've got my own private practice, um, which aside from the, the type of work I'm doing, autonomy was something that was really important to me. Uh, most of my work is online and virtual. And part of that is that, you know, the goal of being able to, to do that in other places, not be tied to a physical location. And so this is all something that, that will continue to change. And I think in response to even what's happened with the pandemic, we now have uh, the counseling compact where 10 states have signed on, which allows for some level of reciprocity of license so that there's, you know, baseline assurance basically to people that we're professionals doing what we say we do uh, in the way that that, that is appropriate. Um, but being able to actually work with clients in a broader uh, range of states um, is something that, that I think is helpful. Um, I will say too, it's like, you know, as I continue to get into the work, like I find those new areas where it's like, oh my God, I want to dive into that. I want to, you know, kind of go down that path. I, I mentioned psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. That's one of the areas that uh, I'm looking at, you know, a certification through CIIC uh, potentially next year. And so, you know, there's, there's always new opportunities to, to, learn and grow. And I think that's more a matter of you know, what I'm excited about. Um, I'd say the thing I'm most grateful for is that uh, having my own practice, being really like in charge of, of me in a different way. And let me jump back too, because when I was in school and doing tech consulting, one of the things that terrified me was that I'd always worked in a team environment. It was always me and some other company, right, of which I was working for that was there and putting my name out and it was just me. That business name was just J Carr. Like that was a, a terrifying thing. There was nothing, right, other than, than me uh, and, and showing up in that way. And it's actually something that I really love about the work that I do is that it's just me. 
um, that was such a scary thing to work through and, and um, to not have a partner that I was relying on, dependent on, interdependent on. And there's beautiful things that can happen there. And, and I found other ways through uh, not only supervision, but group consultation with another practice so that I have those things of connectivity that I otherwise wouldn't have. I would be the isolated right uh clinician that, that i i very much don't want to be um but being able to have that ownership of of what my experience is uh it, it's it's been profoundly uh i'd say important to me but it also then allows me the freedom of being able to, to chart my course and I, I think that probably five years from now the work work i'm doing the types of clients i'm working with and and how that looks is going to be very different. And I couldn't tell you exactly what that looks like, um, but I'm also excited about that. And this is all while also knowing that if I look back in retrospect, like the school I went through, like I never want to do that again. <laughs> it was worth it. And I never want to do it again. And, and I hope that five years from now, maybe that's what I'll have to say about the, this, this five years that, that preceded it. That's great. I think, you know, one of the first things you said that was so so key and I, I feel so much is that it's that um, that moving of the goalposts that often, you know, trips us up where it's like, if I just do X, then I'll be happy or fulfilled or I will have achieved the goal. I'll be there when I get that title or that job, when I buy the house, when I've saved up X amount of money. It, it's like you put that in stone. A trap that we, yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like that's that's one of the hardest things, especially if you decide you wake up one day and you're like, you know what, I'm going to do something completely different with my life. All of a sudden those goalposts that you've put out in the distance are like somewhere else. They've just, they've left. They've left your view because now, well, that doesn't track anymore. Can I even, I have to reestablish what will make me happy. And I feel like that's, that's so, it, it's key to, realize that that can be a trap and you know that's i i'm happy that you've you've found that uh you know fulfillment i mean it, it's so important because like you said our career and our personal lives they're not separate spaces and vacuums by themselves like it they they do intermix they do affect each other well i I'll, i'm gonna jump back on that that idea of exoneration though it's also like once you get that once you attain that once you are doing that work like it doesn't mean that it's always easy like and i i think this is probably something that that uh you know i'm even thinking here right i've got a part that's coming in and said be careful be careful like you're you're in mental health some days are tough to show up for right because of whatever reasons whatever may be going on and, and like maybe it was just not enough sleep and you, you still do that so it's work it is still work and i think that's important to to recognize not only for me to say but to recognize that yeah it's still work like it takes an, a level of effort now it's worth it it's worth it every time and in fact one of the things that i've learned is that when i go into a day uh, and if I have the thought of, oh, well, I kind of need to conserve my energy, like that's a check for me because actually it limits what I actually get out of the work that I do. And so that for me is an important thing to recognize of, all right, like if I'm feeling tired, if I'm feeling maybe like I don't have enough energy, like that's important for me to recognize, not, not so that uh, I let that lead. I guess. And, and if I were to let that tired 
non-energized part lead, it's not the clinician that I want to be. It's not the therapist that I want to be. And I also then cheat myself out of what I actually get out of this, these meaningful conversations with these relationships with people that that, uh, I work with. And so um, it's a reference point for me to be able to, to, to check myself so that I can then act right in, in a way that's different than how I feel like I need to act because that would be just the protection that, that essentially robs me of the joy of what, what I do, but it's still hard. It's still hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's nice hearing that from uh, someone who from the outside looking in, it's like, you've got your whole uh, situation figured out. You've got your act together because not only are you working in an area that is fulfilling to you, but you're also arming yourself with the tools to you know escape those problems by way of what you're doing it's refreshing to hear that kind of thing i, I do feel like at the end of this i'm probably gonna have to have you bill me because i feel like i'm getting like a free session out of this too. <laughs> no way um, uh, I'm, I'm doing all the talking here if it was a session you you'd be doing the, the most of it so well this is about you all the same um so a, a couple a couple rapid fire questions uh, just to kind of uh wrap things up but also just to get your thoughts, you talk about having to show up every day and do the work. I think a lot of people, myself included, have found new ways to um, to deal with stress. So say you wake up and you have to get to your first session and say you're running late, uh, you're not well prepared, you're not well rested, um, something happens at home that you cannot predict like a broken water pipe, something crazy. Basically, your whole day is in chaos. If you have 20 minutes to downgrade your level of anxiety and stress, what do you do to tackle that? Well, it, it, interestingly enough, is what I would tell my clients. For me, it would be to, to get present. And the best way that I know how to do that is, is breath work. And so um, specifically, uh, it's, it's kind of a variant of the, the Wim Hof method um, where it's, uh, and it's bubble breathing essentially. So that for me, it's, it's um, one of the things I like about it is that it's kind of activating. There's other breath exercises that can be really relaxing. Actually, for me, it's really helpful to get that energy moving. Uh, and so that that's, you know, my go-to if I had 20 minutes and, and to do that. And um, I do want to offer, I know we're, we're going rapid fire here. The, the other thing though, that uh, is important is Actually, you know, for me to structure my work in a way so that I'm actually preventing, hopefully, as, or preempting as many of those circumstances as possible. And so for me, uh, having the appropriate boundaries of knowing what my limits are as far as the number of sessions a day, I only do Monday through Thursday, like all these things that are, are built so that uh, supporting myself and learning what my limits are so that I'm hope, hopefully have the structure in place uh, which helps prevent that and to learn from it, right? If I, that stuff does happen, how I can, I can help to, to change kind of that structure to support it moving forward. That's great. I mean, essentially what you're, well, I'm not telling you, I'm asking it. It feels like you're, you're, you're reminding everyone to say, you know, control what you can control and, and plan for the unexpected by giving yourself room to basically have things go completely sideways. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, like in a sense, planning for for right what you can't account for in, in some respects. Yeah. Well, it's unexpected, right? It, that's the those are the things that I feel like trip us all up. The um, losing uh, your level of calm because of uh, external circumstances that you can't control. 
And Rapid Fire was really just a <laughs> high-level uh, title, uh, mostly because I want to ask you questions I did not uh, give you ahead of time. Uh, but the next one, it's relative to where you are in life and your career. But people often say, you know, what would you tell yourself at like 18 or, or some random age? I always think that if you've made, a, made it to a point in life where you've changed directions, you've had to deal with a lot of life experiences. Like we said, you've packed a lot of life into X number of years or time. It's not always 18 or it's not a you know younger age. I always think that it's that, I, I don't like to call it early mid-age because I don't know what it is anymore um, as I approach 40, but what would, what would you tell yourself at 30? If you just you know blinked into you know the, the time travel scenario, you wake up, and you're like sitting next to yourself at 30, at age 30, whatever you were doing at that point, assuming it was not where you're at in the headspace now, what would you tell yourself if you had like five minutes? Not not explain why you just randomly time traveled, but just skim over that sci-fi <laughs> aspect. Right. But what what advice, what what would you tell yourself? To, to avoid the broken continuum. Like, and look, and I actually, you know, we're joking about that, but the, the the truth is, I think that if I were to talk to that younger version of me, that younger version of me would have been like, "What do you What do you know?" <laughs> right? Like, it, and especially, I'd say more more in the twenties, but thinking that that he knew and had it figured out. But I think the thing that I would say is, rather than like something really directive, it would have would shift that path or shift that course. Instead, it would just be to let that that version of me, that younger version of me, if I could actually meet him, to just let him know, like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, you, you take a breath. Like, it's it's okay. And simply that, right? Sometimes that's all you need to hear, right? Especially if it's from yourself. Without having to say it, right? There's, there's some wisdom in that. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, it, no matter what it is, and you don't know what it is yet, but it's, it's going to be okay, right? Because it, it, it is. That's how life works. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful way to kind of, uh, you know, wrap up a lot of those, those thoughts. And, um, yeah, I think it's important. All of it's important to either talk, if you could talk to yourself, if you talk to someone else going through, well, anything, I, I feel like the, the overarching theme is going through life, not change because change is inevitable, right? It's the only constant. So therefore a lot of people need to hear those kind of statements, even if they seem very succinct and, and kind of vague, it's true. It applies to so much your career, your life, it's, it's all going to change and it's all going to be okay. It's almost like you just need to have a little bit of patience. Well, this has been so helpful. And again, selfishly, uh, it may be helpful to me as well, but Jay, thank you for taking the time to talk and talk about all the things you've seen and experienced in the 30 years that were the last two years and everything else beyond that. Thanks, Michael. And, and, you know, even when you, you first reached out to me, I'm like, who am I to talk about this? Like, and again, some of that imposter syndrome, even coming up in that, that, that I want to note and acknowledge, but uh, it's been such a pleasure to just talk and talk through this stuff with you. And uh, I'm really excited for this project and what you're, you're doing here. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to, to not only talk with you, but be a part of that as well. So thank you. Pleasure is all mine. And I'm sure we'll be doing it again. All right. I hope so. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. And that is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Go ahead and subscribe for more interviews and more coffee breaks. And I'll catch you next time.